Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> Hey, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers, if you are watching us on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and um, I just wanted to let you know that we had a little issue at the very beginning, um, some technical issues, nothing really big, but um, so you're not going to hear and or see the uh, normal intro we, we give for our guests, but this week we're talking with Bradley Moss, who is a national security lawyer that specializes in litigation on matters relating to national security, federal employment, and security clearance laws, as well as FOIA and Privacy Act. Um, he's been doing his rounds on the on the cable media circuit and addresses a lot of issues regarding the, um, the search on the Trump property in Mar-a-Lago. Um, we're really excited to have him here this week to kind of break down some of the um, issues that that we're, we're seeing and kind of explain them to us in, in layman's terms. Um, also, um, if you are listening, um, you may hear Josh's daughter, Autumn, um, at some point in time <laughs> through the recording. Uh, it's because this is an emergency podcast, so we had to throw it together really quickly. So, uh, you know, sequestering yourself to ensure that kids aren't in your uh, your AO when you record isn't necessarily all that possible when you do something so so quick so um i hope you enjoy the show and uh yeah um here's brad moss the one exception is that congress created a law 50s i want to say it was called the atomic energy act which classifies creates its own classification regime for information concerning nuclear weapons and that information is called restricted data and that's classified under a congressional law not the executive order. And so the president could not unilaterally declassify that information. That's beyond his authority. No one's ever tried. We don't know what would have happened if Donald Trump had tried to do that. It's an unresolved abstract legal theory. So um, so to start us off, um, can you break down some of the statutes um, that we saw mentioned in the search warrant? Sure. So all this originally emanates from something called the Presidential Records Act. It was a law passed by Congress in the 1970s in the wake of Richard Nixon's scandals and his efforts to try to claim various presidential records were personal, not property of the United States. So Congress passed a law that established a process by which after a particular presidential administration, whether it was one term or two terms, all the records, all these presidential records are deemed the property of the United States. They're boxed up, sorted, and sent to the National Archives. The archives then, either for the unclassified documents in a normal NARA facility or for the classified documents in a secure facility, sorts through everything, documents it, logs it, has it all organized for historical purposes. Some of the records may have to go back to certain agencies if they needed them, but for the remainder of it, particularly the unclassified records, it can eventually be used by that former president in a presidential library if they choose to create one. That's the standard process. The problem that Donald Trump has is he didn't do that. He didn't properly box everything up and send it to NARA before he left. He was too busy with his litigation and the lobbying of state legislatures and then January 6th. So by the time they started boxing things up, there was less than two weeks left. And so everything just got thrown into boxes and shipped to Mar-a-Lago without organizing or sorting anything. 
and nothing was sent to Nara, which is what was supposed to happen. So when the boxes got there and Nara realized where's all the stuff that we were supposed to get, they started talking to the Trump team. They, it took about a year. They got an initial batch of 15 boxes back from the Trump team out in Mar-a-Lago. And as the NARA staff is going through it, they're finding properly marked classified information in these boxes, which is a problem because Mar-a-Lago, once Donald Trump was no longer president, no longer was authorized to contain anywhere in that facility classified information. So NARA notifies the Justice Department. The Justice Department and NAR get in contact with the Trump team for several months negotiating what's going to happen. We've learned through the reporting and through various public filings that eventually these classified records got turned over to justice in uh, May. And that that's when justice started issuing a subpoena both to Mar-a-Lago to get whatever was left, as well as to the Trump organization to get surveillance footage for what was going on at Mar-a-Lago, who was coming in and going out. They went down in June. They collected more classified documents that were there. They got a sworn declaration from a Trump lawyer saying there are no more classified documents here. They collected evidence indicating that Trump lawyer's statement was false or misleading, whatever you want to whatever term you want to use. Then they decided to go with the search warrant saying we've played games with you for 18 months. Enough is enough. We're coming and getting the remainder of the classified documents. And sure enough, when they did the search warrant two weeks ago, they found more classified documents, including in the former president's personal office and bedroom, which they're not supposed to be there. So it all starts with the Presidential Records Act. But the criminal provisions that come into play are distinct from that. The criminal provisions, one is under the Espionage Act, which is a horribly horrible name for the law. It's from World War One. It should be called the Official Secrets Act because this has nothing to do with spying. This has nothing to do with espionage. This is about the unlawful and willful retention of this classified information at Mar-a-Lago. The other two provisions in play, there's two different statutory provisions, are basically obstruction of justice and concealment of official records issues. That he had been told these records were there, he had not turned them over when required to do so, and in fact he obstructed efforts to re- to uh, recover all of those records. Those are the criminal provisions that currently threaten the former president. Got it. Now, now, how would Nara know? You know what what documents are are missing, or or or, or maybe, maybe I'm I'm kind of looking at this the wrong way. Like, would would the would the warrant be issued with the knowledge that you know we know that you know Trump has document A, B, and C, or is it we go there knowing that there are documents, but we may not necessarily know what the what the contents are of those documents. So it's a combination of both. When NARA first started this back in 2021, they knew they were missing documents because they hadn't gotten anything. Nothing showed up from the White House. If you go back to media reporting right around the time of the election in 2016, before the election even occurred, there was already reports about how the uh, sorry the Obama White House had already started boxing up things and shipping everything to NARA in November of 20 of 2016 before the election. Trump did didn't do that at all. And he just sent everything to Florida. So Nara is sitting there with this empty warehouse going, where's the stuff? Where's everything you're supposed to send us? So that's one part of it to which Nara was just like, there's no records. What, are, what did you do? The other part of it is that there would have been documents and, you know, um, logs of what had been sent to the White House when records were sent by other agencies. A lot of what 
would have been sent to the White House and, and provided to the president for purposes of briefing would have been provided by different executive branch agencies, the NSA, the, uh, the FBI, CIA, whichever. And they would have had records indicating, hey, we don't have our copy back. Whatever happened to our copy of XYZ file or uh, ABC intelligence intercept, those kinds of things would have come up. And that's what they would have brought up to NARA's attention. So that's the kind of information NARA would have been starting with. For the FBI's purposes, they would have gotten even deeper into it in terms of the classified information of asking the various agencies that had sent stuff, what are you missing? What copies are you missing? And they would have had that in the back of their mind. They don't necessarily have to have known that specifically for purposes of the search warrant. It's too early for that. But they would have had that as their background uh, investigation to understand the scope of what could possibly be missing and could be located at Mar-a-Lago. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, The Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Man, that's so fascinating. I remember this scene in a movie, Independence Day, mm-hmm. where they're in a, uh, you know, they're going to like Area 51 or whatever, and they're like, uh, how did I, the president's like, how come I didn't know about this? And they're yeah. like, well, and, you, know, you really classic. think it costs, you know, 50 bucks to, you know, do a uh, a hammer? Yeah, that whole thing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, well, how, how come you didn't... Uh, are basically like I'm the president of the United States. Nothing's like nothing's classified for me, and um, it's just interesting because, like, when I think about the president and like classified information, I normally think about like when I think about classified information in general, I think about people in like really secure spaces, you know, like reading it, like you know, like sir, this is only for your eyes, and like there's like a thing that like detects their. You know, their retinas and then it opens up. So my question, if only, if only. Yes. So Mike, but but the the picture I'm here is Trump with his like margaritas at Mar a Lago, like reading like and passing it to Ivanka or whatever, whoever it is who's still there and and uh so Mike what authority does the president have with like with like um like declassifying information or classified information? Like, can they just declassify information like when they want? And then after they're out of office, like you probably kind of explained this with the laws, but maybe a little bit more in layman's terms, if you didn't get to it, like what, what kind of authority is the president after have to see anything classified? Because like I figure that he would have more clout than like me going and asking to see classified information. So what what what's going on there? Sure. So when a person be- takes the oath of office and becomes the president of the United States, they have complete unfettered discretion to classify anything they want 
to see any classified information they want and to declassify anything they want. No one, with the exception of invocation of the 25th Amendment or impeachment and conviction, no one can stop that person from doing any of those things. They are the ultimate classification authority. The moment you leave office, the, so for Donald Trump, the moment on January 20th, 2021, when Joe Biden took the oath of office, Donald Trump lost all authority. He is just another senior citizen who vacations in Florida during the winter months because it's too cold in the Northeast where he's from. He has no right to any classified information, no right to store any classified information. He is potentially afforded a courtesy, which Biden declined to give him, to be receive briefings from the government if he requests it. And they would set up basically a mobile secure facility for him that he could enter. They would show him the information, debrief him on it, and then they take it away. He is not authorized to have access to any of that anymore. So his problem here, and this is sort of one of these defenses that the Trump media allies and lawyers have started pitching publicly, is that he declassified this stuff before he left office. And they're basically, basically saying he verbally did it. Okay. He could have done that. But there's a process if he wanted to do that. Lo and behold, shocker here, Donald Trump does not follow through on process, and he doesn't really care to learn what the process is. So if Donald Trump had a document in his hand and he said, this is a satellite image of an Iranian nuclear facility, I want this declassified right now because then I want to take a photo of it and tweet it out on Twitter, which is something he did. He could do that while president. So if he said, I'm declassifying this image right now, that's fine. But then before he could do anything else, the security folks had to come in, stamp it declassified, indicate when, by whom, and under what authority before it could actually be treated as declassified. And that's what happened with that image that he tweeted a couple of years back. With the documents that we're talking about that were found at Mar-a-Lago, he may have pointed at boxes or generically said, I'm declassifying this various set of records. I want them declassified. But if they actually ever had the markings fixed, if no one did the follow-up before he left office, they're still considered classified. They still had to be treated as classified. They still had to be handled, stored, and transmitted as if classified. Just because he gave a verbal pronouncement is not enough. Gotcha. So he can have anything, access to anything he wants, declassify, essentially do whatever he wants in terms of the information while he's in office. But as soon as that happens, he's just got the same rights as me. Correct. He is, no, he is in fact, he is arguably less special than some private citizens because some private citizens at least hold security clearances. You know, right. do you still do work for the federal government and still still have security clearances. Donald Trump never had a security clearance. He didn't have to. He was a constitutional officer. He was the president. He was constitutionally exempt from the security vetting. He never had to go through what all of us who hold clearances. It's a document called the SF-86. It's a 127-page document. You fill out it's everything and anything you've done in your life kind of document. He didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. He was the president. That was his qualification and vetting. So no, he has zero authority or rights to this stuff as a private citizen. Man, so <laughs> that's kind of wild. I had no idea. So um, what are there any checks and balances on like a president like declassifying information? No. Or like just so they could wow. Well actually no let me let me caveat that. There's one exception to the rule. So the majority of information that the U.S. government has that is considered classified 
is classified under an executive order. It's executive. The current one is Executive Order One Three Five Two Six, which was issued by President Obama, which rescinded and kind of updated previous versions that had been issued by President Clinton and President Bush. Donald Trump never issued his own. He just relied on the Obama executive order, which was fine. It didn't need to be really updated. So most information comes to, from that. That is an executive order from the office of the presidency. The president can choose to ignore it if he wants. It's his office's executive order. But all the information ultimately is derived from that. The one exception is that Congress created a law in the 50s, I want to say. It was called the Atomic Energy Act, which creates its own classification regime for information concerning nuclear weapons. And that information is called restricted data. And that's classified under a congressional law, not the executive order. And so the president could not unilaterally declassify that information. That's beyond his authority. No one's ever tried. We don't know what would have happened if Donald Trump had tried to do that. It's an unresolved abstract legal theory. One we never thought we'd have to worry about. With Donald Trump, you never knew. But <laughs> That's the only exception. Beyond that, there are no checks and balances on anything that was classified under the executive order. He could declassify any of it. And the only thing to stop him is impeachment and conviction or the 25th Amendment. That, that, that's interesting. So, so I know that one of the arguments that Trump and others um, are, are making is, you know, Trump basically waved a magic wand and declassified a bunch of stuff before he left. And basically anything that they found in those boxes, you know, was under the the magic wand, um, sort of like declassification. So if if that's the case, I mean, like, does it stand to reason that if Biden wanted to, as soon as, you know, Trump left office, he also waved his magic wand and classified all those documents. Like, is that, is it like, if I'm using the same logic that Trump and his team are using, like it, it can it be applied to Biden classifying all those documents? Absolutely. So <laughs> if you follow their logic, if he, if Trump had looked over the boxes and said, I hereby declare you all declassified, <laughs> you know, there it's done. If he hadn't followed through in the process before he left office, Biden could have walked in, looked at the same set of boxes and said, I hereby declare you all reclassified. <laughs> and under their theory, that would have been enough. Mm -hmm. you know. And so this becomes sort of the problem. We've, we've, they've pitched this in the media, the idea of the declassification. What is noticeable is that in the public filings that have come out, both the court filing that the Trump team filed uh, two days ago and the correspondence that's been released in terms of their discussions with NARA back in May, they never mention anything about this. They certainly never provide proof beyond these you know, vague assertions by people like Cash Patel that there was some declassification or that there was a standing declassification order. They provided no evidence of that because as far as we can tell, there's no indication it ever happened. Interesting. So, so I guess like... Um... I, sorry, I'm I'm just I'm just taking in everything that that you you, you had you had just said, um, like what who determines or what determines like what records actually go to the National Archives, you know, and which records stay with, you know, with with a president. I mean, like if 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 a president wrote, you know, like a little love note to his wife. You know, like, would that would that be something that would go to NARA or, or like are there certain sort of characteristics of 
documents that that NARA has to have? So there are personal records and then there are presidential records. And the way the law describes it is presidential records are basically everything and anything that has to do with the administration of the job. You know, anything that would have come with being president, whereas personal records would maybe be like, you know, you wrote a note to your wife about something or you you know kept a personal diary. Maybe those could be arguably considered personal records. And there's been debates. I mean, and Donald Trump's not the first person to have this fight with NARA. I think there was an issue about Hillary Clinton taking furniture out of the White House that had to give it back, you know, things like that when the Clintons left office, things along those lines. But as far as I can tell, since the 70s and since this law came into effect, this was the first time that the president simply didn't send anything to NARA at the beginning. Normally, what the president does, and as what I described earlier, was everything gets boxed up by staff over those two months of the transition and sent to NARA first. And then NARA sorts through it and says, here's all the stuff that's personal records we don't that doesn't qualify. You can have these back. The rest of it is subject to the law. We'll process it in accordance with the law. We'll return things as they become available for you to put in the presidential library. There's years of a period of time in which no one can gain access to them outside of special circumstances. It's protected from Freedom Information Act and stuff like that for years. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Donald Trump didn't do any of that. Yeah. And, and one of the other arguments I've heard I've heard made um, is that the president, the Presidential Records Act, like doesn't have like a um, like a criminal enforcement mechanism. Um, is that is that true or, or, or is that something that, that you can speak to? Yes, it's, it's absolutely true. There is no criminal enforcement provision tied to the Presidential Records Act. And part of the reason they didn't create one was because they had these other criminal provisions that did what they needed. They had things um, that had to do, you me, had to do with failure to return or uh, failure to turn over proper federal records, uh, with you know unlawful retention and holding of classified records. They didn't need to create a brand new provision. They already had several provisions on the books that would encompass anything that had to do with uh, violations of the Presidential Records Act. And it it must be stated that by and large, Donald Trump could have avoided any of the problems tied to this, even with what he did when he left, even when he took everything to Florida. If he hadn't played games with NARA and if he hadn't played it cute with the FBI, he wouldn't be in trouble right now. If when NARA came knocking after he left office and he said, oh, whoops, sorry, I didn't realize we took all that. Here, here's all the documents. Just tell me what's mine once you've gone through it. It would have been fine. Even with the classified records, he would have been like, oops, sorry, my bad. And no one, I mean, it would have been, they would have been like, tisk tisk, don't do that again. But no one would have actually referred it for a criminal matter. It would have just been drama. But because he played cute with them, because he dragged this out, because he kept concealing documents that were that after they had come forward first administratively, then with a subpoena, then then finally with a search warrant, that's why he's in trouble here because he wouldn't just comply with the rules. So, you know, um, now I, I I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself as um, you know understanding what the mind of Donald Trump. Okay. That, right. that, that'll take a moment. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> that'll take, that's a scary assertion maybe for you, but here's my question. Do you think like, why do you think he wouldn't have packed these things up and sent them? Like, is it, I'm sorry, you got a little soft there. Why wouldn't he have what? Why wouldn't he have 
taken these things and packed them up and sent them? Like, why wouldn't he have sent them? Is it because, like, he thought so, he was yeah. going to win? Or he, you know, was so confident? Or was it a ploy? Or what? I mean, why would you do that? What so do this is, this mean, is actually really simple with Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been his own man with his own rules his entire life. The rules of other people, the rules that apply to you and me and anyone else don't matter to him. He's never cared about them. And he's gotten through life kind of skirting all these rules and always avoiding any real accountability to the point that he basically feels he doesn't have to worry about them. Those are for other people. If it's there's a problem, I'll blame it on the lawyers. I'll blame it on the blame it on the administrative staff. That's not my problem. And so I'm sure in his head, he's looking at this stuff going, I don't have to worry about that law. That means nothing to me. I'll take the documents. I'll figure it out later. I'll decide what I want to keep as souvenirs. They're my things. I don't have to worry about that. No one's going to come after me for it. No one has the stone to come after me. Why would I care? I've gotten away with everything else. I've been able to, you know, play games with Mueller. I was been able to extort the Ukrainian president, been able to launch a, you know, a, get, you know, a rally that went crazy on January 6th and nothing's happened to me. Why would this be anything different? Right. So, I mean, that, you know, I think that's a, a fair, you know, a fair educated guess you know, as to what he was thinking. And I, I hear you. Um, I, I guess what I'm, you know, just as a quick as a quick follow up, um, when you're thinking about like uh, like Donald Trump and the followership he has, my you know, I, I would have a friend that would go. Um, or or many friends actually that might say, Hey, you know, they're just trying to find anything to pin on Donald Trump. They couldn't find anything before and they're going to try to find anything they can do to pin on Donald Trump. So they're going to some obscure law that no one's ever heard of. And they're just like, they got, they got teams of people just searching all the laws and finding something, something that we can pin on Donald Trump. And finally they found this, and this is just a, this is just proof of how good of a person he is because they can't find anything else and they can't pin anything else on him. They can only find this weird, obscure, like presidential records thing. Yeah. That's what I, how would you respond to that? (laughs) Yeah. Those are the views. Those are the beliefs of a cult follower is how I tend to view it. So look, the presidential records act first is not obscure. It's very well known, especially for anyone who's dealt with government. This is what you do. But again, and this is what I want I try to make sure to make clear, like in the search warrant, you don't see reference to the Presidential Records Act because that's not the criminal issue. The criminal issue is the Espionage Act, for which there are countless people that have been prosecuted, convicted, and are currently sitting in jail. The other criminal provisions have to do with obstruction, for which there are countless people in our jails right now who have been found guilty of that. People have been found guilty for less than what Donald Trump did. So to the extent that there's a problem here, it's a problem of Donald Trump's own making. If he had complied with the Presidential Records Act from the beginning, if he had complied when first approached by NARA over that first year, this wouldn't be a problem. It wasn't like any of this ever leaked during 2021. None of us had any clue what was going on. Even after that first batch of records were turned back over in January, February of this year, 
We didn't know. No one ever leaked all, all these ongoing negotiations between Trump's team and NARA and the White House about executive privilege. None of that ever leaked. That's how much this government, for whatever you want to say about it, was bending over backwards to accommodate him. This is not where the FBI wanted to be going. No one wanted to be the one to have to put their name on a search warrant of a former president's uh, private residence. No one wants that historical, you know, infamy. But that's where Donald Trump put everybody. Mm, that, that's interesting. So, so to to bring us kind of to you know current state, um, there's been a lot of talk about a um, a special master. Um, so I I was wondering if maybe you can kind of explain to us what a special master is, um, and you know why it's significant, and you know what are maybe some of the the shortcomings of them asking for it. Um, now, sure. So, a special master is sort of a term of art. It's a process that can be invoked and can be provided for when there is a search of potentially a, a law enforcement ex- authorized search of records, and some of those records may implicate various privileges. It's commonly brought up when you're dealing with a search warrant and a collection of records. From a lawyer's office, because you can imagine there'd be all kinds of different privileged records there. The FBI has what they call a filter or a taint team that they normally use for this to make sure to exclude properly privileged documents. But there are search situations where, you know, obviously the person whose office was searched says, I'm not trusting you on that. I want a special master. The special master is an outside party, usually a retired judge or a very senior level lawyer who will come in, look at all the records with their team, do proper determinations of privilege or not, and then allow both sides to argue before that person whether or not the privilege determinations are accurate. You saw that when Michael Cohen's office was raided back during the Trump administration. You saw that when Rudy Giuliani's place was searched uh, back in 2021, there was a special master that was appointed. But what is different here is this isn't a lawyer's office. This is Donald Trump's residence. Donald Trump's not a lawyer. There was no, when the Trump team filed their motion on Monday and the judge overseeing it's already asking all kinds of questions of what the heck was this? They didn't cite any cases where it was a non-lawyer's office. They're arguing for a special master now, two weeks later, basically saying there may be issues of executive privilege, which I've never seen a special master oversee, but even if they could, kind of defeats the whole argument for going for this, because if these are documents covered by executive privilege, that means they're official records. That means they weren't supposed to be in his possession in the first place. So they may get a special master. I don't really see what it's going to do here. Special master certainly isn't going to make classification determinations. The government would freak out and no court's going to authorize that. And if it's executive privilege, it's a self-defeating prophecy there. Is then those aren't personal records; those are official records that he wasn't supposed to have in the first place. What, what's what's your assessment? Um, and speak speak as you know as freely as you feel comfortable doing your 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 assessment on Trump's lawyers. Um, I mean, the um, wow. one of the lawyers I believe is like a news anchor for OAN, um, and uh, uh, I saw I saw this thing recently on Twitter where that said like. You know, this is like true MAGA. It's like make attorneys get attorneys or something like that. No, that was the line I said a couple of nights ago. And it, 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 it derives from um, the early parts of the Trump era, especially when Michael Cohen got in trouble. Someone else, I can't remember who it was, coined that phrase that, you know, MAGA stands for making attorneys get attorneys. So 
I don't have the greatest regard for Trump's current legal team. It's actually rather depressing to imagine a former president being reduced to this. The problem Donald Trump has is he's burned bridges with all legitimate lawyers. For years, he had basically two sets of lawyers. He had his attack dog. He had someone like a Roy Cohn or a Michael Cohen um, who could do the really nasty kind of work. But then he had normal, what was it, corporate lawyers, the white shoe, fir- you know, collar, white, you know, white collar firms that do the hard, you know, corporate work that do very professional uh, legal work, and they were fine, and they did what was needed. They handled arbitration matters, things along those lines, and it wasn't really an issue. But he's burned all those bridges. His attack dogs are gone. Michael Cohen went to jail. Now, you know, hates Trump. Rudy Giuliani's law license was suspended. Sidney Powell and her whole team are trying to stave off disciplinary action from their state bars. Those guys are gone. So what he's got left is the former OAN anchor, who I have no idea if he's ever done any kind of real litigation. Uh, Alina Haba, I believe it's the proper pronunciation of the name, who, as best as I understand, was a you know parking garage company you know lawyer. She, I'm sure she's very good at what she did there, but this is way outside her expertise. And she, he's got one or two other lawyers that would just seem completely overwhelmed by the situation. It's a very deficient legal team, given the wide range of investigations against him and the very um, complicated and convoluted constitutional issues that are going to come up in this criminal matter tied to the classified information. It warrants, it necessitates a far better legal team than what he actually is currently employing. And if you want to compare how bad this was, look at what Donald Trump's team filed on Monday asking for the special master and asking for return of records. And then look at what Congressman Scott Perry's team just filed this morning asking for return of records. It's night and day in terms of how a motion and how documents are properly drafted and written. The Trump's team motion was horrible. I just I just want to want to mention real fast that uh, uh, Josh's daughter made an appearance here. Um, so we just want to say hi. Hi, Autumn. Hi, Autumn. I'm trying to get her uh, to not be bothering me as much. She's being very quiet, though. Yes, that is true. It's nice that she's being very quiet. So let's say you like, let's say I wound up with declassified documents or, or with classified documents that whatever that I wasn't supposed to have. Um, how likely is it that I would still, um, like, how likely is it that I would still be free doing whatever I want, you know, like, just like living life? Like, is it, could I do that? Or is it because Trump's got a lot of money and a lot of, like, can, and, and he can, like, can he, can he get away with things that other people can't? I guess that's my question. So, so the initial part of your question, it would depend on how you came into possession of the classified records. So for to give you kind of an example of how normally this would be handled, I've been sent inadvertently classified records that were sent to my home. I was working on a case, the government produced the file to me, they were supposed to provide this like 700 page file as part of the case. I literally stuck it in a cabinet because I hadn't had a chance to even look at it yet. There was no deadlines immediately. Three days later, I got a call from the government lawyer saying, we need to come and get that file from you right now. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we just did a review on our end, and it turned out there was still properly marked classified information in there. I said, 
okay. I haven't even looked at it yet. I have no idea what it was, but by all means, I don't want that in my office. I don't really need any trouble. Security folks showed up in my house. They had the locked briefcase. They collected the records. I had to fill out forms indicating that it, what exactly what had been taken back and when and you know by whom. And then they walked out with the files. I eventually got a properly redacted version. For most people, if you came, you know, however inadvertently you came into the possession, that's generally what would happen. If you were a current clearance holder, you might face loss of your clearance, and there's an appeals process to that to try to hold on to your clearance. But if it's something inadvertent or a very brief period of time, they're not going to generally prosecute you because they don't have enough resources to deal with all that. It happens too often. What got Trump in trouble here was the continued willful retention and failure to turn it back over when asked to do so. But to the second part of the question, can he get away with this because of the money and just the power he has? The honest answer is we don't really know because there have been very powerful and wealthy people who've been prosecuted, who've you know gotten in trouble with this. David Petraeus was, you know, the golden boy of the military for so many years, especially during the Bush administration. He had to plead guilty to what was then a misdemeanor. Now it's a felony for the unauthorized removal of classified records. He had classified stuff sitting in his attic. Um, he didn't want to face greater felony charges, so he pled guilty to a misdemeanor rather than face the trial. Um, reality winner took one set of documents. She got prosecuted, but those were, you know, a very sensitive set of issues. So there certainly have been powerful people who have gotten in trouble for classified mishandling. It can be done. Whether or not it will be here depends partially on what showed up in that search warrant, what the government saw in that surveillance footage, and what they're learning from these witness interviews. The more they learn about to what extent Donald Trump knew what was in those record in those boxes, had purposely been trying to conceal it, had been moving things around to avoid returning it, that makes it more likely than not they would move to indict. If they move to indict, I'm convinced they would get a conviction. But to move to indict a former president, one who may run again in 2024, would be a serious political issue and would require extensive preparation, a lot of, you know, uh, there'd be a lot of lawyers at justice writing memoranda explaining what were the likely defenses that Donald Trump would raise at trial, um, and a lot of political calculations in the senior leadership of the Justice Department, up to and including Merrick Garland, of are we confident enough to bring this case? You don't, you don't take a shot at the king unless you know you're going to hit. You don't bring a shoddy case. So if they've got the goods, they could do it and they'd probably win, but they need to make sure they've got this locked down. Wow, that, that's okay. You know, we we, we spoke to a um, uh, Anel. He's a constitutional professor, but um, he had clerked with uh, Mayor Garland, and um, you know, he he basically said, you know, Mayor Garland's a bit of a straight shooter. You know, like he had not, not, nothing but good things to say about him. And and uh, I'm curious on on your sense on you know what what Mayor Garland's um, I don't know desire. Or um, I don't know, um, you know, interest in in bringing a case, even if the evidence is pretty solid um, against a former president, because obviously it would. I mean, I, I, it may break America, I, possibly. You know, <laughs> so. I could if if there's an indictment, I would be worried about what things will look like on the streets for a few days because it could get wild. 
Um, my view of Merrick Garland, and I've appeared before him as well, is a very methodical, very sort of um, institutional type character. I don't view him as an ideologue. I don't view him as someone who wanted to be dealing with this kind of issue as attorney general. I have a feeling he would have much rather to had a very standard, simple tenure as the attorney general of the United States, and then he could retire, write a book, and go off to basically do whatever he wanted at that point and enjoy his golden years. But this is what you know, life served up for him. He had the January 6th drama, and he's got this, including the potential indictment of a former president. That's what came before him. That's what's on his plate. That's what he has to address. If he feels it's warranted, I have no reason to believe he's going to, you know, be too cautious to do it. But I very much would expect he's saying to his guys, you better have this rock solid so that when you come to me with this, I am convinced beyond any, you know, shadow of a doubt that we will get a conviction if we indict. Yeah. Now, now there, there was a. I don't know if you saw the article in the Wall Street Journal recently about the Trump warrant had no legal basis. Um, and, but it, it, you know, had a lot of legalese, which kind of went over my head. But, but the the writers were making an argument saying that you know federal law gives Trump a, a right of access to them and his possession of these documents. You know, were entirely consistent with that right. Uh, therefore, law lawful. Um, so, so I, I'm curious if you had read the article, if you had any thoughts or wanted to provide any sort of counter arguments. So I haven't had a chance to actually read the article. I've seen the article. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to read it and digest it. But what I will say, having seen some of the comments from some colleagues is that I don't find the arguments too impressive or persuasive. Nothing about what's been described would somehow render the Espionage Act null and void or would otherwise render the other obstruction provisions null and void. Statutory construction, as we you know, cons uh, use the term in, in legalese, would mean that if Congress passes two different laws, they're meant to be read together in the sense that Congress didn't, cannot be presumed to have purposely passed some law that would render another law invalid. If it wanted to do that, Congress would say it. Otherwise, if they don't, it's meant to assume that the two laws apply equally. So whatever the Presidential Records Act does or does not do in no way invalidates or nullifies the criminal provisions that have been referenced in the search warrant. There's nothing to indicate the Trump team has raised that argument in court, and there's no indication they ever would, and if they tried, that it would be successful. And that's why this, is, this makes for great media punditry by lawyers and people pretending to know something about the law, that they can throw all this stuff at the wall. It doesn't fly in court. And if you want to ask someone the difference between you know, trial law and cable media law, ask Sidney Powell and her team, because they got slammed by a judge in Michigan over that, saying that what works in the cable news green room is not the same kind of thing that will work in a court of law, where there are rules and there are principles and there are standards. Interesting. Uh, do, do, do you think there there's any connection? Um, be, th there was an unsealed indictment that um, I think in July or something like that of some like, you know, Russian nationals um, working on behalf of the Russian government um, that were like, you know, orchestrating a years long foreign malign influence campaign um, to use like U.S. political groups to sow discord, what have you. Like, do, do you think there's any nexus there or are they basically just two independent um, issues? Uh, I wouldn't assume they're related at all unless we see something more come out of it. Justice Department has any number of investigations going at any time. 
usually one hand has no idea what the other hand is doing because they're totally unrelated investigations. Yeah, that makes uh, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, this is such an interesting case that we have, and I feel like in some sense it represents the state of our country, um, just in the in the sense that we have like this wild time where presidents are being, former presidents are being tried and trying to be arrested or, or I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, the justice department coming after them and, and it makes sense. And, um, that, that, that they would do that. Um, to what extent do you feel like, and again, I totally hear what you're saying about, you know, he did not listen. He didn't give it back. And, and they, um, they didn't, they didn't want him to, you know, he, he he just was intentionally not listening. I'm sorry, so, I, I, I can't hear you. That's crazy. I don't know why that keeps happening. So he was just intentionally not listening, like, for Trump. That's what I mean, is that, like, um, like I totally see that. To what extent do you feel like, like, that's, that Trump has a target on his back? That maybe they're trying to, people are trying to... And again, I'm asking these things because these are the kind of things I'm typically supposed to represent conservative, which again, being conservative and supporting Trump are not the same thing. Um, and I would, I would like to point that out, Will. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but my, but I know that people will feel this. I know people that I've talked to, like there's a target on his back, and they're trying to find something. In your experience, how much is that? How much has human motivation to kind of um to you know take someone out of office or something like that or 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 make sure this person can never you know um run again i mean i know that i've felt that even at times like to what extent do you think those forces are at work you know it's hard to speculate, you know, I've, I've heard some of these arguments before and I see, you know, they, they'll reference some of the stuff that came out of the Russia investigation to which my response is at first, well, by the way, those people are all gone. Comey's gone, McCabe is gone, Strzok is gone, Page is gone. You know, all those individuals are no longer there. What we're dealing with here is line officers. But beyond that point, to the extent that there's constantly seeming to be a target on Donald Trump's back, my view remains it's there because of what he does. The Russia investigation became as convoluted as it was because of his comments, because of his actions, telling people things that weren't ultimately true, uh, trying to get people to suborn perjury before Mueller, things like that. And his team trying to gloss over, trying to say, oh, we had no contacts. And oh, by the way, there was actually 200 contacts. And our campaign finance manager, sorry, campaign director and deputy director were money launderers and doing tax fraud for Russian linked groups. It gave the impression, certainly, for why there would have been an investigation. There ultimately wasn't sufficient evidence to bring a conspiracy charge against Donald Trump. That's fine. That happens with investigations sometimes. But I understood why there was one. The same thing then would come up in impeachment. The only reason there ultimately was the first impeachment was because of Donald Trump's actions. There wasn't going to be one if he hadn't tried to extort the Ukrainians and try to bring that whole thing down on Joe Biden. But he put himself in that position. The whistleblower came forward, notified Congress and the inspector general, and that led to impeachment. So again, Donald Trump puts himself in these positions to get in trouble because he feels there are no limits 
on what he can and can't do. And when someone tries to put the limit then on it, he goes, oh my God, they're coming after me. Why are they always coming after me? It's because of what you do, because your company engaged in tax fraud and you know gave these untaxed benefits to Alan Weisselberg. That's why the company's still on trial, even after Weisselberg pled guilty. You know, that's why you're facing a potential civil action from the New York State Attorney General over business fraud and how you ran your company. That's not being persecuted. That is, you keep doing things that eventually when people catch wind of it, they will bring proper action against you. Are there are there similarities between, you know, what we're seeing currently with um, Mar-a-Lago and the, and the search warrant and um, the, you know, the, the, the second volume of the Mueller report? You know, that really kind of focused on obstruction. Yeah, it's complete part and parcel pattern and practice for what Donald Trump does. In that second volume, you saw he was telling people to create fake documents to support a narrative. He was telling Don McGahn to go provide false information to Mueller, which would have been suborning perjury. That's typical Donald Trump, that he can't just let an investigation take its course Because if he had, that thing would have been over long before it actually was, and there would never have been a second volume. Because he has this conspiratorial martyrdom complex, he believes he has to fight back against all this stuff. He puts himself into more trouble. And sure enough, that's why he's in trouble here on the classified records, is what I mentioned earlier. If he had simply turned everything back over in the beginning, saying, oh, wait, sorry, didn't mean to do that, especially didn't mean to take the classified stuff, here, take it back and turn back over everything, there would be no criminal inquiry. There would have been no search warrant. He's in this position because of what he did. Yeah, I, I, I see that, you know, and, and it feels like, um, like, yeah, like the person that feels like they can get away with anything, mm-hmm. you know, so they just keep doing it. Yeah, and it's it, it, just to cut you off for briefly, no, it's somewhat similar to what the Clintons got themselves into all for all, so many years and what conservatives were always going after. The reason the Clintons kept getting in trouble was because of what they were doing. They got in trouble with Whitewater because of their actions. John, uh, Bill Clinton got in trouble with impeachment because of what he did with Monica. Um, Hillary got in trouble because she had a private server. She would never have had that issue in the 2016 election if she had used a proper government system for her email. There would have been no big scandal at the end. But she had to have a private server. There were reasons why she did it. I understood the legal arguments, but it was a self-inflicted wound. And just like the Clintons, Trump is constantly sabotaging himself and having these self-inflicted wounds that put him into greater and greater danger. Yeah, I like that. I like that counterbalancing, especially because, you know, the Clintons and they're like the liberal, like, uh, you know, dynasty or mm-hmm. royalty, right? Or something like that. But um so what why does he keep getting away with this like so we have all these records of him saying all these court all all sorts of things create fake documents i mean like that's got to be illegal right you can't just create fake documents to get out of stuff when you're dealing with government international politics and stuff like that or or you know like uh, so, so the what reason is happening yeah so the reason he got out of a lot of the stuff earlier on was because it was political so the Mueller probe was while Trump was in office. There's the DOJ opinion that you can't indict a sitting president. So we knew from the beginning there wasn't going to be any indictment. This was going to be a political matter. So Mueller completes his report. It gets sent to Congress. House Democrats didn't feel they had enough leverage to bring actual impeachment. That's why there was no impeachment over the Mueller report stuff, even what I viewed as you know 
uh, conspiracy to suborn perjury. It was pl- strictly political. Impeachment won over the Ukraine matter. Again, all political. He got impeached. And if it had been a court of law, he would have been indicted and convicted. But it wasn't. It was political. So it went to the Senate. It's all, you know, Republicans who need his votes, his, his base's votes in the next election. They vote to acquit. Same thing with impeachment, too. They knew that he was going to still be a player in the party afterwards, even with January 6th. That's why he didn't get um, convicted in the Senate, despite a lot of defections. And we've seen what happened with a lot of those Republicans who moved to convict in impeachment, too. A lot of them got thrown out, including Liz Cheney, who now apparently is a liberal rhino. The, the Cheney dynasty is a bunch of liberals. Yeah. Welcome to the resistance. Yeah. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell college Brad Moss that the Cheneys are going to be part of you know, the liberal rhinos. And I would never believe it. You know, that, that, that's so funny. And uh, so so I, I made a point um, and I, I just have like two more questions, but I, I made a point in, in a lot of these questions that we've we've been discussing to avoid speculation, because I think a lot of kind of what you're hearing and sort of the punditry of it all is like, OK, we don't really know a whole lot. So, you know, we'll 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 just kind of speculate on what could or couldn't happen. So the, the, this is this is my this is my one speculative question. Um, <laughs> that that I want to get your 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 thoughts on, you know, and I and I'm curious, like, are there are there more worst case scenarios for what could possibly happen uh, than there are best case scenarios, or is this just another you know situation where we just don't really know enough to make a determination? So there are more worst case scenarios that could emerge here for Donald Trump, and I'll say up front, I have no reason to believe these are ever going to come into play. But yes, if during the course of its investigation, as it interviews more people, the FBI learns that he was trying to sell any of those records, if he was trying to give them to foreign governments, that'd be worse because that would involve that would implicate the other parts of the Espionage Act that actually have to do with espionage. I have zero reason. I know this is a huge thing on resistance Twitter right now of oh, he was trying to sell it. I've got no reason to believe that's what he was doing. He's a pack rat. He wanted them as souvenirs. That's all I think it was that was going on in his head. But if there was evidence of that, that's how this could get worse. I do not expect that to be what happens here. Okay, I got it. So, so I guess as a lawyer, like what, what are what are some of the next um, steps or the next things? You know, you're you're kind of curious or looking out um, for you know, and as the as the just lay viewer of of all all this unfolding like what are what are some key things that i should be i should be looking for so the next few months and i don't expect if there is going to be indictment i do not expect it to happen before the midterms even though he's not a candidate for office in 2022 just because i don't see justice department wanting to you know poke that bear and have that political drama i think they'll wait until after the midterms to move on any indictment if there will be one but right now, what the feds are going to be doing is they're going through the records they collected, figuring out what where they came from, continuing these follow-up interviews with the various officials at Mar-a-Lago, the janitorial staff, everybody who had access to that basement area in Trump's personal offices, finding out why things were moved. They've got videos. They got two rounds of video surveillance footage of that stuff to see who was coming and going. So they'll be doing follow-up interviews on that. And they can present that to the grand jury. Grand jury's proceedings are secret. They're not public. No one knows about what's going on with them. And so a lot of that could happen behind the scenes. 
but I do not expect until at least after the, the election in November to see any public overt action at this point against the former president, possibly against staffers, but not against the former president in light of the political concerns. Got it. That's that's amazing. And uh, um, on that note, I just I just want to thank you, Brad, for you know giving us some of your time answering. Yes, the, thank you so much. Yeah, the, no, not a problem. The 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 questions of our audience um, and and of America.